was so good. How many of you excited to be in church this morning? All right. Just glad you survived another week and you're here today. How many of you had a good week? Show me hands. Good week. How many of you had a bad week? Okay. Amen. I had a message prepared. I thought that I would preach this Sunday, but around 4.30 in the morning this morning, I woke up. And how many of you know I don't wake up 4.30 in the morning? But I woke up. I didn't wake up like this. I, I woke up like this. And I felt this urge to read the Bible. And when I, when I feel that, I say, no, Lord, please don't change the message now. Please, God, don't do this. <laughs> and he did. So someone here today is the reason I lost sleep. 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. And Paul says this to a church in Corinth. He says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, talking to the believers, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. And Paul gets real honest here. And he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. We learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And He did rescue us from mortal danger. And He will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him. And we, and He will continue to rescue us. Paul says it three times. He says the word three times. Rescue. He says, He has rescued us. He will rescue us and He will continue to rescue us. And I don't know why I'm preaching this this morning, but the title of today's message is That's the Way the Cookie Crumbles. Get ready. Father, bless this word. Help me to preach in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. That's the way the cookie crumbles. And I thought about that as I read this passage because yesterday our church had an outreach event with some of our phenomenal people of our church. I got a few pictures here to show you guys and kind of put you guys out there and embarrass you a little bit, but we have a, a few pictures here. No, that's, that's the Bible verse. Get some, some of the photos that are there of yesterday's event, not showing up. All right, anyway. Well, I had some pictures of yesterday's event, and in this event, we had our lovely leaders. If you are part of this yesterday, would you show me your hands? This is where you're at. All right, look around you. These are the people that are around this event, and what happened was that we went to the Miami Rescue Mission, and I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I didn't do much myself. I just, I was a delegator. That's what I do, you know, and I was just 
the supervisor. That's my role. I was supervising my church, making sure they, be, they were behaving and everything was good. Nancy got a boyfriend. We'll talk about that later. You know, <laughs> you know it, it, was a great, it was a great time. I enjoyed it because not only did I see Nancy meet the love of her life, but I also got to see Adi in a hairnet. If you've ever, I mean, imagine that big guy with a hairnet, you know, and it, it was amazing. And he, I've never seen anyone clean dishes so well, honestly. He worked so hard. Give it up for Adi. He did a great job. And I, I never seen anyone complain so much. Give it up for Stephanie, everyone. That's great, Stephanie. That's amazing. So every, everyone had a great time. We had a great time. You know, if it was Anthony with the mittens on, and I was just looking back at my church, and I was like, man, I, I love to see my family. I love to see my mother, my father-in-law there, my wife, everyone serving. And and I was thanking God for our, for our church and the, an opportunity because we were, yeah, there, all right, there you go. So we were actually reaching out to some of these men that are really struggling. We're reaching out to these men that are having a hard time in life. And as I was observing, doing my job, here's something I observed. There was a tray of cookies. And with this tray of cookies that was in the kitchen, some of them were whole and complete, and they looked perfect. But way beneath the bottom of these perfect cookies were some other ones that were crumbled. They had fallen apart. They were broken. And I didn't understand why it caught my attention until this morning at 4.30 a.m., but I realized that when I was looking at that tray, I saw some pretty perfect, complete cookies. And then I saw some cookies that were broken because they were under so much pressure that they cracked. In other words, there were certain cookies there that because of the immense pressure they were going under, they cracked and couldn't handle it. So they crumbled. They crumbled. And when I looked at that, I was okay with that. But my mother-in-law, Cookie, was not. And her name was Cookie. It was interesting. And Cookie goes over to the man in the kitchen, the boss, and he says, what are you going to do with the broken ones? I need to know. And he said, don't worry. We're going to get the broken ones. We're going to get the crumbs. And I'm going to put it into a banana pudding. And I'm, we're going to make something out of it. And she was like, oh, okay, good, good. And the truth is, he was lying. He wasn't telling her the truth. But it was just to calm her down. Because I wanted so desperately to go to the back alley and take my mother-in-law to the dumpster and say, there's the cookies. Ha <laughs> ha, look at them. But see, that guy was just trying to make her feel better. Because she wanted to know, what are you going to do with the broken crumbs? What are you going to do with the, the crumbs and the, the cookies that are just falling apart? And it's interesting that he said, I'm going to make something out of it. What a picture of what God does in our lives. Because see, I think in life, I picture it like that cookie trait. You see, when I look through my lens, it seems like everyone else's lives is perfect. There's some cookies there that are perfect and whole and complete and sweet and they look delicious. Everything's fine with them. 
But when I look at my life, sometimes I feel like I'm the bottom one. I'm the one that's crumbling and falling apart. Can I get a witness this morning? Does it ever look like that, that you're looking through life through your lens and you look at social media, you talk to other people, you look at your family, your coworkers, your friends, and they're just giving you the good news of their life and how great life is and the blessings of God in their life and everything seems whole and complete. You look at their family, they're happy, they're in Disney, they're laughing. You look at their future, or they've got this education, they're going to the best school. You look at their marriage, they're taking beautiful pictures together, and everyone looks like they're whole. Everyone looks like they're complete. Everyone looks like nothing is falling apart. But when it comes to your life, it feels like you're the one that's under immense pressure. How many are under pressure this morning? You're the one that looks like you're under immense pressure. You're the one that's in the bottom. You're the one that's falling apart. You're the one that's cracking under the pressure. You're the one that's reaching your breaking point. And you're the one that looks like you're crumbling. And I hear it all the time. How many of you feel like your life is crummy sometimes? Is that what I did there? All right. How many of you feel like your life is crummy sometimes? And you're saying, man, I, I have this crummy life because I get up every morning and I feel crummy. And I get up in the morning feeling crummy to just get ready to head on to my crummy job. To work with all these crummy people, to deal with them and go back home in this crummy city of Miami with all these crummy traffic and go back to my crummy home with my crummy family to endure my crummy spouse and my marriage and my kids and I'm under all this pressure and everything is just falling apart. I have crummy finances. I have crummy health. I have to, the pressure of life is really getting to me, Pastor. There's the pressure to be healthy. There's a pressure to be beautiful. There's a pressure to pay bills. There's a pressure to make sure your children grow up to be productive, godly members of society. There's a pressure to be happy. There's a pressure to make others happy. There's the pressure with your problems, the pressure to deal with other people's problems. And all you feel is the pressure and the pressure and the pressure of money and bills and parenting and marriage. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, that's everything you said is me. How did you know? Because I woke up at 4.30 to tell you this. It's true. Life. I know pastors love to say life is good. God is good. Listen, life is crummy. God is not. That's what I'm here to say this morning. God is good. And I believe like Cookie, my mother-in-law, we're all just falling under the pressure because things are crummy. What are you going to do? What's going to happen? And God says to us, listen, I'm in charge of the kitchen. I'm in charge of your life. And I'm going to turn this around and something good is going to come out of this. I'm not going to waste it. It's not going to be for nothing. I'm going to get the broken pieces of your crummy life. And in Jesus' name, banana bread pudding is on the way. Something good is going to stir up from this. Something amazing is coming out of this. So you don't have to wait here saying, oh God, why? And God, when? God just wants you to know that life is crummy. But God is good. We go through pressure. Paul is honest. You know why I love Paul so much? Because he's honest. He's not one of these Christians that pretend that everything's fine. He's not one of these Christians that have to pretend that they're holy and everything's great about them. And Paul says to this church, he says, 
I want you to know. Other translation says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Why does Paul feel the need to tell everyone about his problems? I believe it's because Paul is letting the church know as Christians, life is going to get crummy. You're going to go through pressure. Look at verse 8 with me. Look at what Paul says in honesty. He says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. And the first thing he says is, we were crushed. We were crushed. And we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never make it. We thought we'd never get through it. And I feel in my spirit this morning that someone here today is telling that to themselves. I don't think I'm going to make it this time. I don't think we're going to get through this year. I don't think we're going to get through next year. I don't think we're going to get through this problem. I don't think our kids are going to get through this. I don't think my marriage is going to get through it. Even Paul says, there were times in my life I thought we weren't going to make it through it. He's honest. The first thing Paul says is, I felt like I was going to be crushed. Notice that. I felt like I was going to be crushed. That word crush in the Greek literally means to be pressed with pressure. To have so much on you. So much burden. So much weight. It's the weight of life that is just pressing on you. Paul said, I've been there. I felt the pressures of life. And we live in the world today, even within the church, that many people come to these church walls and they feel the pressure of life crushing them. Paul said, I go through pressure. And the pressure led him to feel this. He said, I have all this pressure that it's crushing me and I'm overwhelmed. He didn't say, oh, my life is under so much pressure, but I got faith. My life is under pressure, but I'm strong in Jesus. He didn't say that. He says, my life is under so much pressure I feel like I'm being crushed every day. And in fact, I'm overwhelmed. You ever felt like that? I'm overwhelmed. And he gets so honest, he says, not only do I feel overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. And this is what really I want to highlight today. Because there is this lie being taught in the church. There is a lie that we print in t-shirts and bumper stickers and frames. There is a lie we tell people when they're going through trouble. And here's the big lie. It sounds great, but it's a lie. It sounds encouraging, but it's a lie. God will never give you more than you can handle. Some of you amen because you thought, no, listen, we preach this. But it's not true. People believe this because it's taken out of context in 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it says that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 
the temptation, everyone say temptation, the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation, say it with me, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. But nowhere in that scripture does it say God will never give you problems you can't handle. God will never allow circumstances you can't handle or endure. No. That verse only says that God will never allow temptation to get into your life you can't endure. In other words, there is not a single amount of temptation where you can say, I'm just too weak. I just can't do it, Lord. I have to give in. God says, no, I will never allow the devil to tempt you to a point where you cannot endure that temptation. You can make it. You can overcome it. You can be free from it. That's where God says, I will never give you more than you can handle in the area only of temptation. But we've taken that verse to mean that, no, no, it means that God's never going to let you go through a circumstance that's beyond your ability. Church, did Paul not say, I was so overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure? Does it make sense? Listen, does it make sense? Is Paul bipolar? Is is Paul missing it? Does it make sense for Paul to write in 2 Corinthians, Does it make sense for Paul to say, I was in a situation far beyond my ability to endure, and that same guy writes in 1 Corinthians, oh, but God will never give you something you can't endure. He will be contradicting himself. Isn't that good preaching? He will be contradicting himself. When the Bible says, you can't, God will never give you more than you can handle. He's only talking about temptation. So the good news is, you're going to go through things you can't handle. You say, well, why is that good news? I'll tell you in the end. But you're going to go through things you can't handle. You're going to go through situations that go beyond your strength. And the fact that you can't handle it, doesn't mean that you lack faith. Doesn't mean that you're weak. Doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. It means that God is telling you the truth. You're going to go through things like Paul that are going to be so crushing and so overwhelming it's going to go beyond your ability to handle. If you ever read the Bible, which I hope you do, you're going to see a few people, great men and women of God, Go through circumstances that are beyond their ability to control, fix, or even handle. David faced Goliath. That giant was far beyond David's ability to handle. Moses reached the end of the Red Sea. He couldn't get through it. That was beyond his ability to handle. Elijah faced an army greater than himself. It was two against 25,000 fighting men. That was beyond Elijah's ability to handle. Peter was thrown into prison, 
chained and bound. It was beyond his ability to handle and get out of. What's my point? Like David, you're going to go through battles that are beyond you. Like Moses, you're going to go through dead ends that are beyond you. Like Elijah, you're going to face some things that are beyond you. Like Peter, you're going to be in some things that is hard for you to get out of because it is beyond you. I pray I've proven my point in the name of Jesus. There are things in your life you cannot endure. You can't. But God can. But Paul says, I went through pressure. I was overwhelmed, crushing beyond my ability to endure. But in verse 8, in the NIV version, I want to read this one. In verse 8, Paul gets real honest. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we even despaired in life. We even despaired in life. If you want to know the true definition of what it means to crumble, it's there. Despairing in life. What does it mean to despair in life? It just means to lose hope. And hope is the expectation of something good. The expectation of something greater. Hope says, it's, it's not good right now, but it's going to be. Hope says, oh, it's hard right now, but, but it's going to get better. Hope always takes your eyes off where you're at and it puts it where you're going to be. Hope says in faith, God's going to do something. Things are going to change. Things are going to get better. It's not always going to be this way. But when you have lost hope and you're living in despair, it's the opposite. You tell yourself it's never going to change. It's never going to get better. It's never going to be. It's, I'm never going to get my prayers answered. I'm always going to be this way. Nothing's ever going to change in my life. So it's that hope that we have that keeps us going. But see, Paul says, when I was under so much pressure, it led me to feel overwhelmed. And when, it's, when I felt overwhelmed, I felt like everything was beyond my ability to handle. And because I couldn't handle it, he says, church, I have to confess I despaired even in life. I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't think I was going to get through it. I thought it was the end. Paul, the one that wrote a third of the New Testament, one of the most mightiest men in the Bible, a man of faith, said, I lost hope. I reached a point that I thought I'd never make it. And I wonder in what area of your life do you despair? When you despair even in life, you invite anxiety to rule your mind. And you start getting worried. 
When you live in despair, it's easy for you to be unhappy. When you have despair, you panic. You get angry easier. Despair says there's no way. There's no way. And I wonder if the Lord woke me up this morning and changed everything I planned because you have despair in your heart. And you're telling yourself there's no way. There's no way it's going to change. There's no way I'm going to be blessed. There's no way this is going to be fixed. There's no way it's going to happen for me. Man, there is no way I'm going to meet someone. There's no way I'm getting out of debt. There's no way this person in my life is going to get saved. There's no way. That's despair. You stop trying. You stop believing. And you settle. That nothing's ever going to change. That was Paul saying this. And Paul said, I thought I'd never get through. But then Paul understood why God allowed it. Why did God allow the trouble? Why does God allow us, his children, to go through pressure? I think, well, God, do you not want me to have peace in my life? God says, yes. God, do you not want me to act like you, like act like Jesus? Do you not want me to be resting? Do you not want me to be happy? Do you not want? So why does God allow the pressure? Why does God allow me to be overwhelmed? Why does God make it so difficult? Why does it feel like my life is crumbling? Why am I so, why have I lost my hope? Why have I lost my faith? Why have I despaired and lied? Paul was in this position until Paul finally understood why. Verse 9. Paul says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And here's a big word. And what? Learned. We learned to rely on God. The reason that God allowed the pressure and the overwhelming circumstances and the crushing and the crumbling, the reason God could not just let Paul go on through Asia and make it easy on the journey, no. The reason God allowed the most impossible, difficult, hardest journey that Paul's ever been in is because Paul needed to learn something. You see, every time you're under a circumstance that's overwhelming you and beyond pressure, God is trying to teach you. And the greatest lesson I believe that God wants to teach and the church needs to get 
is we need to rely on Him. We need to rely on Him. Say it with me. We need to rely on Him. Why is this so important? Because there are so many believers that are a little bit too independent from God. And God did not create us to be independent from Him. God created us to draw near to Him so He can draw near to us. God said nothing is impossible when you're with me. See, there's a dependence on God. And when you get a little bit independent, God says, yeah, let's crack up the pressure. Because Paul needed to learn what we at Forward need to learn. Rely on him. We don't rely on our own strength like we often think we do. We just, we rely on our own ability. I got this. I'm going to get us out. I'm going to change it. We rely on our own wisdom. We rely on people too much. We rely on people too much. Why do we rely on people that are just, they're crumbling just like you? It's so wrong for us to think a person's going to make you happy. It's so wrong for me. Can I be like Paul and be honest? It it is so wrong of me to think, well, inflation's coming and we're in a recession and, and think, and what if the people in church don't tithe anymore? What if the people just stop giving? What if the church goes? And God's like, wait a minute, are you telling me the reason the church is still open is because of people? Y'all better start tithing still. Yes, I'm saying that. But people? We rely too much on ourselves. People? Our wisdom? Our government? We rely too much on everything but God. And God has to allow us to go through overwhelming, crushing experiences to get us to learn that the reason you're going to get through this is only by me and my grace. And the reason you're going to get through it is through me and only me. And that's why I am teaching you to rely on me. Don't ever say, what are we going to do? Don't ever think, what am I going to do? You better change your language. I wonder what God's going to do. That's a person that's not despairing. I wonder what God's going to do. You see, if you're here this morning, you're, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't handle this. You can't. I don't want to lie to you. and say it's going to be okay. It's not. Sometimes it's not. I don't want to mislead you and say, oh, you got this. No, you don't. Sometimes. We need to learn. But all we have is God. And you are nothing. And the best prayer, I can't say that, that's wrong. There's a lot of prayers, but one of the best prayers 
you could ever pray is this. You guys ready? God, Lord, Jesus, Yahweh, whatever you want to call him, because he's all one. I can't. Oh, that felt good to say. Say it with me. Watch, it feels great. Say, I can't. Just say it. Tell your neighbors, hey, I got a confession. I, I can't. Go ahead, tell them. I can't. Tell your spouse, I can't. And she's going to say to you, I can't with you either. <laughs> I can't. I can't. You know what? If you would tell God right now, Lord, I can't. God's going to say, I know. But I can't. We are as people that lie to ourselves. There is no weakness in telling God, I can't. But many people today, they have trouble and pressure beyond what we can handle. Overwhelmed. But you don't have to let that cause you to crumble with despair. Did you know that if you're living with despair, it's not because life is hard, it's not because of problems you have, it's not because of the failures, it's not because of the difficulty. If you are a Christian and you're living with despair, it's because you have chosen to. That is your choice. Let me prove it to you. By teaching you why we despair. Verse 8. Paul teaches us where despair all comes from and it proves it's just a choice. Again, we think we, ought you to, we have to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, it's pressured. We were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we, stay with me, we thought, We'd never live through it. If you want to know the root of all despair, just tell me what you've been thinking lately. Tell me what you're thinking. I'll tell you if you're despairing or not. You know those times you are talking to yourself? When you're alone, when you're driving, when you're in bed? And your mind goes on overdrive? What, what is it telling you? That's despair. Despair starts with your thoughts. Because you may not be able to always handle and endure, like Paul says, trouble in your life. But you can, however, always handle how you choose to think about it. That's why I'm telling you despair is a choice because you choose what you think or choose what you think away. It's a choice. And the only reason we despair 
is because our thoughts get the best of us. That's why the Bible commands us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the word of God. And that word, to take every thought captive, it's literally a Greek translation that means to wrestle and overpower. Did you know that your mind is a wrestling match constantly? And good thoughts and godly thoughts are constantly wrestling with bad and negative thoughts and they're always in battle with each other. And when that battle is going on and those negative thoughts want to overpower you, God says the only way you overpower these thoughts that are overpowering you is you overpower them with this, the word of God. And you renew your minds. All despair starts with your thoughts. I remember a few weeks ago or months ago, it was months. I have a bad thing with procrastination. And no, really, I know, I'm shocking, right? Yeah. <laughs> and my wife will attend to this. She'll tell me something to do. And I'll do it when I feel like it. No, I'll do it. But it'll take a while. It'll take a few weeks sometimes. And it'll be there. I, I'm that patient. I'm that patient. It'll wait. It will wait. My dad, too. There's things still broken in the house that's been 15 years ago. Amen. That, that's the path. Man, you know, yeah. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. All right? Anyway, once upon a time in our house, we had a little ant show up in the kitchen. I didn't do anything about it. I saw it eating crumbs, by the way. It was just there eating a crumb. I was like, ah, no big deal. Little ant, enjoying a crumb. Let it go. The next day, not kidding you, he, had a, he threw a party in my house. That little ant got his friends from the block. And said, oh, yeah, ven by esta casa. They don't get us out. And those same ants eating the same crumb. It was in the corner. They were there eating. I didn't care. And so the problem not only was in the house, but outside my porch, there were ants everywhere. And Jerrica said, you got to take care of these ants. I'm like, I will. They didn't care. Jerrica's grandmother bought me ant killer. Left it there. Here, David, do it. I'm like, I will. Never did it. Until it became a real big problem. I don't know who did. I never got to it. But someone killed all those ants. Oh, it was you? Yeah, Jerrican did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but here's my thing. That's how thoughts are. The thoughts start off like a little ant. It's just, just the one little thought. And one little ant became ants. And it grew. And it became a problem. And the reason I'm telling you that ants are like thoughts because randomly an automatic negative thought will come. That's an ant. Automatic A. Say it with me. Automatic A. Automatic negative. Automatic negative thought just shows up. Am I preaching truth today? You ever been driving and the thought of killing someone just comes to you? 
No. It happens to your pastor. And I'm just driving with worship on. I'm like, well, one, I, I wonder what it would be like to kill this person. That's an ant. Just shows up. And it grows. Why don't you try it? No, it's been... But you see, all of us struggle with automatic negative thought syndromes. An automatic negative thought just shows up. And you have a choice. Am I going to entertain it or am I going to get rid of it? Do I entertain it and keep thinking about it till it grows and becomes a problem? Or do I get rid of it with the word of God? And some of you are like me. We just entertain ants until it becomes a problem. But the second a negative thought just comes to your head, you better take it captive to the word of God. What does God say about what my mind is saying? What does God think about what I'm thinking right now? And when you begin to renew your mind in the word of God, those ants begin to just leave and you experience the joy and the peace of God. And that's what Paul was learning. It started with a little ant, a little thought. You'll never make it, Paul. You're going to die. And he believed. I believe that every, every suicide, every divorce, every affair, every addiction, every anger of outburst and rage, every poor choice you make starts with a little thought. The worst choices you've ever made started with a little ant. Many people's lives are crumbling apart because of a thought. And here's the spiraling effect. This is how it crumbles. This is how the cookie crumbles. Look at verse 9. Paul says this, In fact, we expected, we expected to die. Notice Paul starts off with, I was under pressure, I was overwhelmed, I despaired in life because I thought. I just started thinking the wrong thoughts. I started thinking I'm not going to make it, I started thinking I'm going to die, I started thinking I'm never going to get out of this, I'm never going to escape, I'm never going to finish the church, God's never going to finish what he started, I'm never going to see my family, and Paul begins to think and think and think all of these negative thoughts, and to the point that he started saying this, in fact, I expected to die. Catch this, church, he thought he would die, and then it went to expectation. Because thoughts turn to feelings. Feelings lead to expectations. That's what despair looks like. You go from thinking one thing to feeling one thing to then expecting it to happen. Let me give you an example by asking you a simple question. And we'll close with this. What are you expecting out of your life? What are you expecting is going to happen? Your thoughts become feelings. 
your feelings become expectations. That's the test of despair. You want to know whether you're a believer in despair? Answer the question, what are you expecting? Maybe you're expecting that things are going to get worse in our economy. You're expecting that you're going to lose your job. You're expecting it. You're going to lose your job. That's it. I'm going to lose my job. It's over. It's done with. Oh, I'm just expecting I'm going to be alone forever, single for life. That's it. It's never going to happen. I'm just expecting. I'm expecting. I'm just expecting that I'm going to get sick and it's going to be cancer. I'm never going to see my children grow and it's never going to be good and I'm going to be sick all the time. I'm just expecting. Oh, that's it. I'm expecting. That's it. It's over. I'm expecting that we're just going to end in divorce anyway. It's going to be over and I'm going to lose my children. I'm going to lose my home. I'm just expecting. What are you expecting? Because Paul said, I thought I was going to die. And as I began to think on that little end, all of a sudden I expected to die. That's why the spirit in life, I expect. The devil loves despair. Because hope is the expectation of something good. But despair is the expectation of something bad. And the devil loves despair because despair causes you to lose hope. And when you lose hope, you give up trying. And the devil wants you to quit. So here how it goes. I expect I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my job. That's it. I'm going to lose my job. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'm going to lose my job. Any moment now, the boss is going to come in and tell me, that's it. We have to let you go. Any moment now, I'm going to get it through email, through text. Any moment now, I'm going to walk in. My desk is going to be empty. I just know it. I'm expecting it. I'm just waiting. So you're going to go into that job not even working, not even doing your best. Why? Well, I'm going to get fired anyway. I might as well show up late because I'm going to get let go anyway. That's what the devil wants. Well, I'm going to be single forever anyway. So what do you do? You stop wearing makeup, stop working out. You stop trying to look pretty. You stop working on your character. You stop learning about marriage. You just give up anyway. That's despair. Well, we're just going to, I'm just going to get divorced anyway. I know any moment now she's going to find me. The the door's going to knock and I'm going to get served. I just know it. I'm expecting it. So when you're expecting divorce, guess what? You're not going to plan dates. You're not going to be respectful. You're not going to be intimate. You're not going to try. You're not going to be nice. You're not going to work on your marriage because your expectation is divorce. Are you guys getting it? I could sit here as your pastor and expect this church to close down. I can say, oh, it's any moment now. That's it. Any moment now, the church is going to be empty. Any moment now, the eviction notice. Any moment now, it's over. And we can give up. Or we can say, oh, it's a lot of pressure. We're overwhelmed. And then sometimes I feel like we're not going to make it. But God always surprises me. And that's the lesson Paul learns. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, it says, 
Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world because there is a world out there that doesn't know Jesus. And they're living with worry and anxiety and fear. But you should have a different pattern because you have a Savior. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Renew your mind in the word of Jesus. Renew your mind so that you will experience a transformation. That's hope. And Paul began to expect, I'm going to die. It's over. That's it. But I want to prove to you Paul renewed his mind. Look at verse 9 again. In fact, we expect it to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. So Paul said, that's it. I'm expecting we're going to die. We're just going to rely on God. And God's like, that that should have been your first choice, Paul. We relied on ourselves. We did not rely on ourselves. We learned to rely on God. And here's the renewed mind. Ready? Who raises the dead. Paul caught it. Paul renewed his mind because, listen, what did he say? In fact, it's a fact, baby. We're going to die. It's over. We're expected to die. But then Paul renews his mind. But even if we die, God raises the dead. So even if the worst case scenario happens, God is still in control. So even if I would die and get what I was expecting, God can still do a miracle. God can still work wonders. God can still raise the dead. What a resume. That even if I would die, I serve a God that raises the dead. Well, even if I would get sick, you serve a God that heals. Well, even if I lose my job, you serve a God that provides. Well, what if my children, I'm expecting my kids never to come to church. You serve a God that brings the prodigal back. What is your mind telling you about God? Let me calm down. Because I want you to get this. Verse 10. God says, and he did rescue us. God says, he rescued me from what I thought would happen. And when things happen again, he will rescue us again. God's not going to say, oh, otra vez, you're in this mess. Didn't, didn't I rescue you last time? God doesn't talk like that. God said, I rescued you then. Baby, I'll rescue you now. I'll rescue you again. We have placed our confidence in him who will continue to rescue. Come on, get your confidence back in Jesus' name. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's all stand to our feet.
rely on the Lord this morning. You're saying, Pastor, I'm pressured. I'm overwhelmed. I'm despairing. I'm expecting this and this and this. I understand that. But you better expect to see God work in your life. You better see God open doors that no man can shut. You better see God raise things you thought that were dead. You're going to expect that God is still God. God is still in control. God is still sovereign. He is still ruling over your life. And God still has a plan. I believe all of us are like my mother-in-law. It's broken. What's going to happen? But God is the man in the kitchen saying, if you only knew... I'm not lying to you. That's the only difference between that man and the rescue mission and God. He's not lying to us. He's going to get the broken pieces of your life. And in Jesus' name, something great is going to come out of it. Something mighty is going to come out of it. You can rely on me. Let's pray this morning. Let's really pray. Can we really pray? Not okay, Lord, thank you for that sermon. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. No, I want you in Jesus' name. If you're under pressure, if you're overwhelmed, if you're despairing, expecting the worst, dealing with depression, hitting the end of your breaking point, your life is crumbling apart. In Jesus' name, you say, Pastor, I am the cookie. I'm crumbling apart. Great. Come to this altar. I dare you. Come to this altar in Jesus' name. Come to this altar. Don't make me look foolish and be here by myself. You come to this altar. And rely on the Lord. Give it to the Lord. What's your dreams? What's your expectation? Give it to the Lord in Jesus' name. This altar is going to see miracles take place. Healings happen. Houses are going to be bought. Children are going to be born. You're going to see lost people saved. You're going to see God do things that you never thought were possible because you were too busy expecting the worst. But God says, rely on me. Rely on me, and I'll rescue you. In Jesus' name, let's pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Take all the expectations, all of them, the bad ones, the ugly ones, the deathful ones, and prove us wrong. For every person here that thinks they're not going to make it in Jesus' name, he's going to prove you so wrong. For everyone that feels like, Paul, this is the end in Jesus' name, he's going to show you how wrong you are. For anyone that says it's never going to happen, Jesus says you better watch it happen. I'm about to prove you wrong. Because the word of God will prove always to be true. I don't care what world we live in. I don't care who's president. I don't care what economy we're in. I don't care what doctors say. I don't care what you're up against. God says when you rely on me, even if you would die, I still can raise you up again. So I dare you, church, to say, Lord, I can't. Tell the Lord right now what you can't do. And like Paul say, I'm overwhelmed because I can't. I'm despairing because I can't. But Lord, I'm relying on you. And I will watch you work. Tell the Lord that right now. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, take every crummy thing from our lives. 
and turn it into something that only you can get the glory for. Turn our despair to joy. Do the impossible. In Jesus' name, if the cookie crumbles, you are still God. And you work all things for good for those who love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise today. Amen. And you guys can have a seat. I want to thank you guys for joining us today. As you go home this morning and you face the week you have, you're going to go under pressure. You're going to be overwhelmed. But I pray that your perception of pressure changes. Your perception of being overwhelmed changes here this morning. And you know without a doubt, without a doubt, that there are things in your life you can't handle. But when you rely on God, you're going to see Him handle it. Amen?